But first, I want to talk about a little bit more of an uplifting story. A story caught my eye a couple of weeks ago in the Tribune. You may have seen it. It was a story about a man who came to this country in 2012. He was a refugee from Syria. He was 21 years old. He arrived with two small bags. I'm picturing him with $100 in his pocket. And lo and behold, flash ahead 11 years in May, he walked across the stage accepting his diploma from DePaul's law school. He's now studying for the bar. He's going to be a lawyer. His father, who'd flown in from Syria, was in the audience in tears. Uh, he's, uh, he's just an amazing story. And I thought, with all the refugees that are coming over, we we'll talk about the issue of being a refugee and about the success story that we have here at hand. Um, Imad Mahu, thank you so much for joining us. And happy Father's Day to you. Hello, Karen. Thank you so, so much for having me over. And uh, happy Father's Day to all those great dads and all the whole big list that you mentioned earlier. <laughs> happy, happy big Father's Day to everyone. They come in all forms, right? Um, they do. <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, I think sometimes in the United States we are so... Uh, we just look at ourselves and we don't look outside the, our country. But, you know, I didn't know much about what was going on in Syria back when you had the unrest. Can you tell, really briefly, tell our listeners uh, what your life was like before this revolution and how you got involved in it and what horrible things happened to you? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we are we are a big country where a lot of people, so sometimes the milk stories from around the world gets missing and that is not on a fault of us or any one of the listeners but life life before the revolution i mean if you put if you put the political uh, situation aside having living under uh, authoritarian ship and assad being a father who inherited power from his uh, assad being a president who inherited power from his father um syria was just like a regular normal country in the middle east people were nice happy like great life um people have a great uh, some your relationship, society in general, people look out for each other, but there is the overlooming, overshadowing, controlling um, government in, in, in the backside of everybody's head. This is an authoritarian regime that is that has a, an iron grip on the whole. Imad, oh, we just lost him. Uh, you know what I'm going to do? It's now that I'm just going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get him back on. He just fell off. And we're going to hear more of the story. And I'm going to tell you, it breaks your heart. And then it's going to be a story that is going to uh, resonate with you. And it's about perseverance. It's about uh, be- working hard and doing the right thing and having th- the ending be a happy one. We're talking to uh, Imad Mahu. And this is the Karen Conti Show. We're here with... Ahmad Mahu, who is uh, was a f- former Syrian refugee who came to this country and has just graduated law school. And Ahmad, sorry we, we had a little break up there, but but what happened? So you're you're living your life in Syria. You've got an authoritarian government, and the government. What happens? And then how did you get involved in this torture situation? Yes. Well, sorry about that. But um, again, yeah, it was a it was a regular life, and you have that authoritarian regime in the background. And and the thing is, you're always in fear because you can get arrested for any reason and you'll disappear. And quite often, I tell people like in Syria we have four colleges, but we have a 19 secret security branches to make sure that iron grip on the country is always there. And and what happened is uh, back in 2011, for some people who uh, actually followed um, and read about the situation. The Arab Spring started in Tunisia and Egypt, and, and in Syria there was this growing, a grow, it's like a boiling pot that is ready to explode for freedom and democracy, and you're just waiting for some kind of a, um, 
like a kind of little push to get you over that hump, that big fear that all the Syrian people was having in their mind, in their heart, of this government that will kill you for um, for any reason. Watching what happened in Tunisia and Egypt gave us, the Syrian people, that little push we needed for a long time. Me personally, when I was around 21 years of age, and also I tell this quite often, I, I thought about it deeply, about whether I want to be participating in this movement or not, and it was came, it boiled down to one thing. I said to myself, when I am an 80-years-old person, looking back at my life, I don't want to look back at this particular decision and say and be 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 a coward i didn't want to be a coward i don't want to call myself a coward years later in my life because i chose to bow down to the fear stay in line with what assad would want his people to do and just be like a sheep in a herd i just said no we're going to stand up for this i i will stand up for people i love freedom i love democracy and i am willing to put i risk my life for for the benefit of the society at all, at, at whole. And that was the decision. It's like, I'm not going to be a coward. I'm going to stand up for justice. Imad, let's just, just move ahead. So you get involved in this. You're in, you spoke English, which was an asset. You got involved in some of these things. And you ended up being captured and for, a, what, a period of about three months. Is that fair? Yes. And, and, you, yes. Were, and you were tortured. And I don't need you to go through it, but it was, it was pretty horrific. It was pretty horrific. Um, you know, I don't want to ruin the afternoon uh, for a lot of people, but, you know, um, it's, it was quite quite graphic, quite hard sometimes. There was no less than degrading to the human spirit, treating you like an animal, um, sometimes urinating on you. It's just they, they, they honestly, uh, they can write books and books on torture in the Syrian, the secret uh, prisons. And I, I was one of those fortunate ones who actually made it out of prison and uh, to be honest with you rather on focusing on that i would tell you tell you like a little small story when i was in a solitary confinement maybe around 60 70 days into my confinement um i was quite ready to go uh, karen i was i was desperate i was i was in my lowest point i almost i i tried to take my own life i wasn't successful because you're naked in a solitary confinement two levels under the ground there's nothing you can use to kill yourself with so um after a night where I banged my head on the wall, I, I, I was done. I, 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 I was ready to go. Uh, when I woke up from that with a strong headache, I, I had this like a, a whiff of a breeze under from that door. It was cold, and I felt I felt that like my spirit got uplifted, and I, I imagined myself back home on my marble floor in my kitchen, feeding my cat on the floor. I had a cat at that time. And this memory and this feeling that overtook me and took my emotions, it, it kind of like lifted my spirit. And I, at that moment, I felt I'm not going to die in this prison, in this detention. And thank God I didn't. Oh, just just heart, heartbreaking. And you managed to get out of the country. You went to Jordan. You became you registered as a refugee with the U.N. or one of the U.N. Uh, organizations. And then here you are. You're on an airplane to O'Hare Airport 11 years ago. You get off in this yeah. massive airport, right? You got your two little bags in your hand. You got a hundred dollars in your pocket. Let's let's flash ahead. You know, you, you got this little apartment. You're you you don't know how to order a, a subway sandwich. You told you said in the newspaper exactly. you didn't even know how to do that. So you know, and you're and you're 
<laughs> in your English, you know, it's probably okay in Syria, but probably not okay when you get to a country where the slang and everything else is 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 a quite a different story. Um, but what you, you end up going to college, you get a job. Kind of give us like the quick rundown of of how how you came all the way to law school and to graduate from law school. Well, you know, um, I always say that, and it's I, I truly mean it. This this amazing country saved my life. Uh, I owe everything I have today for for the amazing people, the people who represent us in the embassies across the world, our brothers and sisters who are Americans just like us in our embassies. Those people do a great and immense job to represent the country and represent us. So I, I owe that to them. But besides that, coming to America, I knew... I knew I was given a second chance in life. I was about to die in Syria. They were going to kill me soon. And the United States graciously saved my life, brought me across across the ocean all the way here. Yes, my English wasn't amazing at that point, but it was enough for me to get myself around. So having in mind that I was given a second opportunity and to pay back to this second opportunity, to this great country who saved my life, brought me over here, I knew I must work hard. And I... I I did. I did work hard throughout those 11 years. I continue to work hard every day, like every other American who they work hard for their life, for their family, for their children, and for whatever reason they do. Um, I, I, I enrolled in college. I got a second degree in computer science. I figured the best way to go about life is to learn, to go to college, get a degree, get a job, and participate in society in every possible way. And for me, it felt like one of the ways to pay back is to actually be a member of this great country, a member of the society, and contribute to it, not by just paying your taxes and while going and be like, okay, I'm a good good citizen. No, it's just go above and beyond to pay back to this great opportunity that was given to me by this amazing country. So you get into law school, DePaul Law School, you go through your three years, which is, is no... No easy thing to do. Um, you graduate, and your dad's there, and he's crying. And I saw the pictures in the yeah. paper. It was just absolutely amazing. I mean, he's got to be so proud of you. And now you're studying for the bar. The bar is in July, I believe, sometime in yeah. mid 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 July. I know you're in the middle of studying, which is which is very grueling. Um, so what what is the game plan then? What what are you going to do with this great law degree and with all of your experience and your language skills? What what's next? You know, um, I, the decision to switch to law degree was honestly just a continuous of of the same spirit that I, I exhibited in Syria, standing up for democracy and justice and freedom. It's just for me, it was just this, this five, six years of hold between arriving to the U.S. and establishing some solid foundation that I can rely on to reignite that same mentality, standing up for freedom, democracy, and justice. So went to law school. I got the LSA, I graduated, walked on across the stage. It was a, an amazing and super proud moment for someone like me, an immigrant, to cross across the stage with a law degree, to receive a law degree in this great country. Um, and my dad, my family, my wife, my daughter, all, all there in, in the, watching me. I, I, I was overwhelmed with emotion. So the, the plan was honestly just to reignite that, that social justice um, fighter inside of me like i care a lot about people i wanted to go to law school because i wanted to represent people one great justice from the south told me once who wrote an amazing opinion on qualified immunity said 
You know, Imad, when you walk into law, into into the court of law, you can represent yourself anytime. But when you're a lawyer, you represent anybody. That statement to me meant a lot because it gives us lawyers the power to walk into the court and represent everybody in need, uh, the pro se litigants, um, uh, indigent litigants, and that's exactly the type of fire that really goes through my vein daily. It's just there's hundreds and thousands, and sometimes hundreds of thousands of people who needs rep- legal representation and they simply can't afford it. And we need we need a lot of lawyers who are capable, uh, who are specialists, who are smart enough to come in and help these people. And this is exactly what I would love to do with my law degree. I want to I want to put my degree, my skills and everything I learned through law school and through my externships to benefit people. Um, your, is your daughter there, Iman? Um, she is a little bit nervous. Okay. Do you, do you, uh, I don't want her to cry. She's a little bit nervous. Oh, yeah. she's too nervous to come on? Well, I just want to say... She is too nervous. She's too I'm nervous. Really well, I was going to ask her to come on, yeah. but uh, but I'm sure she's wishing you a happy Father's Day. And I guess just, you know, I, I, just one question again. I the, the idea that we have all these refugees in, and, and even, you know, we see them now in, in the city, and they're on the streets. Some of them, some of them are, are in hotels and in different uh, establishments. And there's a lot of volunteers who are helping feed them and clothe them and donating things. And it's just a beautiful thing to see. I know there are people who think that, you know, we shouldn't be taking in refugees. And I understand that attitude as well. But what would you say to to, to people who are looking down at the refugees and saying, go back to your country, like, get out of here? What, what, what words of wisdom do you have coming from that, that, that horrific situation that you were in? And now you are truly the American dream. Well, you know, we always love to talk about the American dream, that beautiful house, the suburban house, the, the fence, the flag, everything, the family, the gathering, the, the cooking. And, you know, um, what I really, I really sometimes, it, it boils down to one thing. What I really think it's important to understand here is these people, just like me, are fleeing persecution from their home country, whether it's a private actor who is the government unwilling to control, whether it's the government itself in cases just like mine. I had the pleasure and the honor to represent families from Southern America, and we were able to successfully uh, petition for their asylum, and they were they were given asylum. When I received that, that story, when I received the decision from the USCIS, I, I honestly cried for half an hour of happiness because that family and the children will have the opportunity to live in this great country of ours and grow up to be whatever they want to be. We all, as Americans, tell our kids, you can be whatever you want. Even as adults, we can. Ch- I, I changed careers. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm 34 years of age in this beautiful country. Nobody, nobody judges you for going back to school and becoming better and, and advancing your life. So I really just would like to remind people is, my. this is my humble opinion, those are just a human, just like you and me. They all have dreams and and stories and 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 the dignity is and and we should afford dignities to people to be allowed to tell their stories and and dreams and as a reminder that's just a small reminder is they're fleeing persecution if you had no no option left you wouldn't leave when people like different than those immigrants who are coming to america when you look at backstories from syria that little boy who was washed ashore in libya wearing that red shirt and, and a jeans short he was like two years of age Alan died in the middle of the mediterranean I bet you, and I promise you, nobody will put their kids on a boat to cross the Mediterranean unless there is no other option. 
Right. Sometimes it boils down to there is no other option. Imad, and us as Americans, we're not. Oh yes. No, I was going to say you know we're going to have to break here, but you know I, I think that's a great yeah. message. You're right. It's not like they're coming here on spring break. This is a place. This is a last yeah. resort for them to be able to live, to really be able to survive. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story, and I want to say congratulations on all of your successes, including uh, being a graduate of DePaul Law School. I used to teach there for many years. So I, it, I have a fondness for that school. And good luck on your bar exam and come back and talk, talk to us um, when you get entrenched in your career. And we'll, we'll chat about uh, all your great successes. Okay? Thank you. Thank you so much, Karen, for you, for your uh, listeners. And happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you, too. We'll